Welcome back, everybody, to Birching the West. We have with us our guest is Willie Shazir, and uh, he's going to talk with us about uh, something that's kind of unique, uh, but uh, sometimes we get uh, talking about the, the John Birch Society and their stereotypes about it, sometimes about conservatives in general or constitutionalists, um, people that love liberty. And uh, it's it's kind of a, uh, just talking with Willie the other day, I thought, you know, it'd be good to have him on and I'm glad that, that you're able to make it on today, Willie. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, I like to bring up something first before I start is about a, a test, a Myers-Briggs test. I've taken this test as a personality test. And I've taken it three times and every time I've taken it, I've tried to fool it. And my objection was, my objective was to make the results come out to say that I'm an extrovert. Unfortunately, all three times I've taken it, I failed it. Well, I failed it in a way trying to trick the test and I'm an introvert. So I prefer not to talk about myself, but I, in doing the study up for this, I heard that everyone has a, a, a story. So I would like to take this opportunity to tell my story. Um, I, it is a uh, interactive uh, speech. I have questions to ask people. Only thing it takes is just a raising of the hand and play along with me. It make, it'll make it a lot easier for me. So before I start, I'd like to read a quote. And this quote's by Dennis Waitley. There are two types of two primary choices in life to accept the conditions as they exist or to accept the responsibility for changing them. At one point in my life, um, being a shy individual, I probably accepted the first one just to accept life as the, the cards that it dealt me. And later in my life, I decided I wanted to be a part of changing what happens in my life. Um, I grew up in a place called Chihuahua, Virginia. I'm one of seven kids. I have three brothers and three sisters, and um, today we're total, totally opposites. Um, as I tell my friends, I left a reservation years ago, and you know, for me, uh, being black, if I leave the reservation, I'm considered Uncle Tom, but um, I ask those people who say that to read the book because Uncle Tom went along to get along, and I'm not going along to get along. I'm trying to make a change in how I perceive life and how life treats me. When I was younger, I also had people of influence. As a young person, I was very shy, and the people of influence in my life was my grandmother, my grandfather. My grandmother, she was a Christian lady. I learned a lot from her as far as being humble and just being a hard worker. My grandfather, more so, he, he served in World War II, and he died at 102. He is a veteran, but he built his own house, and he told me a story one time when he got his land for his house. People told him he wouldn't make it. Um, he, would, he wouldn't be able to survive, afford land. He worked two jobs and he just was a hard worker. So from him, I learned how to be a hard worker, just manual labor. But <laughs> with every relationship, you have issues. My issue with my grandfather was uh, speaking about unions and politics. Back when my grandfather was coming up, the unions had a, a, a purpose, you know, to make sure the workers were treated fair. And then along came Obama and my granddad, he was all in, bless his soul. So we got into a big argument over that. And it did affect our relationship to the point where I was visiting him one time. I stayed, let my brothers and sisters get on the road and head back towards Newport News. And I stayed back and I had a conversation with him because I did not want my grandfather to view me as an enemy. 
So the conclusion that we came to, I told him I love you, but we should not ever talk politics because I don't know from you guys, if you believe it or not, politics can ruin relationships. I've had people I've served with in the military close to 30 years with who I no longer communicate with because our views on politics is just totally opposites. And like, like I said, I don't like to talk politics. And if someone just insisted I turn po talk politics, it's usually not a good result because then I put on a different mask and I become a different person. And it's not, it's not very nice. So I prefer not to talk politics. I just like to just talk to people. Um, Speaking of my my school my school years, when I was in school, I was the uh, the shy person. I usually stayed to myself, and I tell people I hated school, but I enjoyed school. The problem was I always sit in the position in school where I couldn't see the blackboard. Yes, the blackboard. Before we had VAT boards, we had blackboards, and as you know, as a teacher wrote on the VAT uh, a chalkboard throughout the day and erased it you could barely see what was written on it. So I usually sit in the back of the class, couldn't see the board and I would fail class after class. And that was simply because I couldn't see, you know, my parents couldn't afford me to get glasses. Eventually Lions Club in my town got me glasses and all was well. But I tell people my education did not start until I got into the military. Once I got into the military, I learned how to uh, firefight. I learned first aid, I learned security. And the biggest thing I learned in the military was leadership. So I learned from the guy by the name of Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. From his book, I learned how to manage myself from a day to day, week to week, month to month, from a quarter. I could tell you what I was gonna do a year out because of his book. Uh, another person I follow and still follow today is John Maxwell. He was the pastor of Skyline Wesley in San Diego, and he, he left while we was there living in San Diego. But I learned from him leadership. And even today, I still listen to John Maxwell speak about leadership. Uh, I think that your life never gets, you never get to the point in your life where you figure, I've got this made. John Maxwell is over 70 years old. He's, he's written over 100 books, and he still writes and reads today. And the last person is Ben Franklin. What I like about Ben Franklin, his autobiography, is how he managed his time. If you ever have a chance, don't listen to the History Channel's autobiography of Ben Franklin because they make him out to be anything but a man with standards. They say he was an alcoholic and a sexist. And, you know, all those adjectives they like to put on people to degrade him. But his the way he managed his time uh, was to be admired. And I try to, even to today, account for my time, just not waste it. So um, I don't know. Um, I guess not, anybody on here besides me served in the military. Okay, so in the military, uh, like I said, I was very shy. And um, when I was on board the battleship Missouri, uh, I called my detailer. He's the guy who gives me my next orders. And I was expecting to be able to go to land. Yes, I was going to go to land, but he was going to make me an instructor, recruiter, or push boots. I was so shy, I didn't want to do none of them. So I pleaded with him for like two weeks till he says, your orders are on their way. So from that, I became an instructor. And when you go to instructor school, they force you to talk in front of people. So I can be as introverted as I want, but when they put you in front of a class and they put a camera on you, and then they start recording what you say, how many times you say, okay, okay. How many times you go, mm, mm, or ask those questions. Uh, how, who in here can answer this, those type of questions, and then you get to sit and watch yourself. It kind of gets you over the, the shyness, and that's what it did for me. 
Uh, I still get butterflies when I speak in front of people, but I speak in front of people nonetheless. So uh, 1988 was a change important in my life. Uh, I realized in 1988 and before then, maybe a year before then, there was three uh, pros and cons to what I was believing. So again, how many people here has heard of Margaret Sanger? Margaret Sanger was the founder. I have. Margaret Sanger was the uh, founder of Planned Parenthood. And I don't know, I don't try to get my information off of Google because they have a way of deleting algorithms and getting rid of information on people that they don't want you to know about. But I'm pro-life. I believe that you should not take a life of an unborn. That poor child does not have the ability to speak for itself and that child can feel pain. Uh, Planned Parenthood kills over 345,000 kids a year. Planned Parenthood originally started, I hate to say this, but I say it anyway, um, started to get rid of my race. She believed Margaret Sanger and I've heard the videos that my race was unfit to reproduce. So that's how it came around. The government, even though we, I do not believe in Planned Parenthood and they've dropped the amount, they used to get over a hundred million a year. They only get 60 million a year from the government. I think that's bad that my taxpayer money goes to uh, an organization that I don't believe in. Like I said, I'm pro-life. Um, and I said that word I shouldn't have said. How many of you are Christians? I'm a Christian. If it wasn't for my Christianity, I don't think I would have made it through my military career. I've been in war. I've been in, in conditions where I work uh, 15, 18 and more hours a day constantly staying up day after day. If it wasn't for my faith, it was, wasn't for my ability to go to my rack at night and read a Bible chapter to, to keep me calm and to pray, I would not have made it in the military. I tell people that. Today, if you're a Christian, you're under fire. It's wrong for you to be a Christian. Out here in Nevada, during the shutdown, you got uh, the dispensaries, they're still open. The liquor stores, they're still open. Walmart, Costco, they're still open. But the churches, they're closed. Another thing, they're going after the family. You gotta get rid of the family, you gotta get rid of Christianity. That way there's no absolutes. And that's what our kids are being taught today in school. There are no absolutes. So I can believe whatever I want to believe. And last thing I like to say as far as the con is what welfare programs have done to the black community. When the welfare programs first came out, it was telling the, the, the women of these households that you don't need a man. So therefore, a lot of black families were growing up without a father in the house. Those of you who don't believe that having a father in the house matters, trust me, it does. Without a father in the house, I'm not shown how to be a man. Yes, my mom, she can smack me around, beat me or whatever, but I still need that, that father figure in the house. And it's been proven today in the prison systems, most of the blacks who are in prison systems come from homes that do not have fathers. And so they pay the price. Let's move on to the next pros. These are the pros that I like about the decision I've made about my life. The 13th, 14th and 15th amendment authored by James Ashley. He was a Republican. Uh, he, was, he was a Republican. He's a representative from Ohio. The 13th Amendment says it abolishes slavery. The 14th Amendment, citizenship rights and equal protection for former slaves. And the 15th Amendment, the right to vote cannot be denied by race or color. That was all written by a Republican. 
Now, I was once a Democrat. Yes. Why was I a Democrat? I was a Democrat because my dad was a Democrat. My grandmother was a Democrat. My grandfather was a Democrat. Didn't know why. Thank God they wasn't bank robbers because I was I probably one of them also. So to move, to move along, have you ever heard of a guy, I recommend if you have not heard and you want to know about our educational system, there's a guy by the name of David Barton. He has a, a website called Wall Builders. Uh, what he does, he talks about our education system. And like I said, our education system is not education anymore. Our education today is more indoctrination. What he, he did one time on one of his podcasts, he took a, a test that was given to eighth graders in, in 1820. And the difference like our education system from today was, was back then. Back then we taught our kids how to think. Today we teach our kids what to think. So he's given that test to uh, students who've graduated with their PhDs and masters. And today none of those students have passed that eighth grade test. I've heard the questions, you can go online and look at it and he will read the questions to you. And some of the questions he was reading I was thinking to myself, I would still be in eighth grade because I couldn't answer those questions neither. The next thing I like to talk about is uh, men of influence, mentors in my life. Um, when, I, when I left the military after 29 years, I think of my life as being different chapters. And I've always been a goal-oriented person. I always needed to go. I always knew where I was heading. But when I left the military, I was at a loss I figured I'd just get a job working as a contractor like all retired military, and I would go into the contracting business. Um, that didn't happen, and I, after so many years, I know why it didn't happen, but I met some men of influence. Um, I met four men it, to be exact, John Selk, uh, Stig Medley, uh, Bob Netherland, and Jim Tapscott. I met these gentlemen after I got out of the military, and like I said, my battle it never seemed to end. I wanted to, I wanted to push ahead. I wanted to do something in my community. And I've met these gentlemen and they became mentors to me. Um, the Japanese have a, uh, a saying, it's called can I, and it stands for constant and never ending improvement. I believe if you get up in the morning and you don't have a goal that pushes you, then you've wasted your day. These men inspired me to step up my uh, commitment to serve my community, not to settle for, uh, a setting life and not letting life happen to you, to get out and get involved in my communities, to write the letters and make the phone calls, in essence, to make every day count. Uh, being a, being an, uh, a mentor and being an influence are two different things. You know, they, they challenge me. They don't, they don't tell me what to do. They, they listen to what I have to say, but they don't try to tell me exactly how to do something. And I get to share my goals with them. They encourage me and they challenge me to, move ahead without their advice. They will advise me, but they'll listen to me. And that's what I like about these gentlemen. So hopefully I went around a, a full circle. I've told you how I grew up, the people who influenced me as a kid, the, the, the three biggest lies I find with the left and the three that, I, that drew me to the right, that and a lot more, it could be a lot more examples. And then I, I tied how I came to the right. You know, I, I believe in what I do today. And it's probably what I'll, I'll push to do for the rest of my life. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy leading people, being around like-minded people, and just getting out there and being part of life. So with that, that's the end of my story. If anyone have any questions, I'll be happy to take them. 
I have one. Just going back to your military service, what rating were you? I started out as a gunner's mate. Well, I first started out in deck division. I was in deck division for two years. That means I was outside painting in the, <laughs> in the, in the rain and yeah. standing watches, driving the ship. And then I became a gunner's mate. And I stayed a gunner's mate until 22 years. And at 22 years, I was an E8. And I did not want to be a command master chief because I considered that a babysitting job. And I wanted to still stay working in weapons and guns and, you know, missiles and all that. So I swapped over to be a warrant officer and I retired as a CWO3 in the Isle of Bahrain. Very good. That's nice. Yeah. But I thought my military career, when I was in the military, I thought that would be the only thing I'd ever do. I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. And uh, I never got a warning that, you know, one day this is going to end. And then one day um, I was in Bahrain and I was working seven days a week and, Funding was limited. Uh, Barack Obama was in office and we had no money for nothing. We had no money to get our ships underway. We had no monies to go out and, and qualify our watch standards with weapons. Uh, a pilot had no money to get in the air to fly. We was just washed out. And at 29 years, everybody's like, won't you do one more year? And I'm like, no, I need my sanity. I'm gonna go home. You can do my one more year, I'm gonna go home. So I retired after 29 years. Hmm. And I've, done, I've done, actually done my fair wow. share of sea duty also. 29 years, I've only been sure twice. I was on an oiler for three and a half years, so I know about that. Yes. So. Um, so what, um, so what was the biggest defining moment as far as leaving, I guess, in leaving left type ideology and head towards the right? It was a belief in what I've seen as far as what I studied, what the left believed and what the right believed. And um, it's pretty easy to make that, uh, that distinction. But the biggest thing with the left, like I said, I'm pro-life. And to take a, the life of, of an unborn, and even today you got governors who want to take the life of, of, of a kid once they're born, i.e. Virginia, that bothers me and to go after Christianity and say that, you know, Christianity don't exist. But you know, the one thing I've noticed about people going after Christianity, they'll go after my Christian beliefs, but they won't go after a Muslim. That's the one thing I've noticed. Muslim have free reign to do whatever they want. Um, so that was the biggest thing. I, yeah, I, that's one of my, uh, not a pet peeve, but, yeah, so if if you're a Christian anywhere in the world, people accept you know Buddhism, uh, Maoism, uh, you know Islam, uh, all those different religions, and they put all their philosophies on a high pedestal. But when it comes to Christianity and what we believe and, and who we believe in and our higher power, um, it's marginalized, ridiculed. Uh, and all those, all those other type of words that go with it. And I find it pretty ironic. Yes, when I was stationed in Bahrain, I took a, a tour of the Grand Mosque. Now, if you can picture this, they separate themselves when they pray, the men on the bottom floor and the women on the top. Over 1.2 million people can be in that mosque and pray at the same time. And as I went through this tour, the person leading the tour, they made all of our females put on that, that garment that they wear but for every question we had they had an answer 
And I'm like, wow, this is a religion of convenience. They got an answer for everything. If you don't want to abide by this, well, you don't have to abide by that if, and they went through the list. But it just amazed me. And if you can imagine the structure, we have little mosques throughout the United States, and they are very small in compared to the grand mosques that I've seen in Bahrain. It is humongous. But the one thing about those countries is that even though we are allowed to have Christian services on the base, you will not open up a church in that society. No, you won't. But you, 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 they can have their churches, and you know when they pray, you can hear it. And I found out how they do that prayer and how come you can hear it throughout the city. The, uh, uh, the guy leading the service, he turns and he talks into this, this massive uh, structure. And what it does, his voice goes in and echoes back out. It's not a mic system at all, but it's, it's ingenious how they did that. And whether you're Muslim or not, when they start praying, believe me, you're going to hear it. There's no, there's no drowning it out. But you will not take your Christian prayer and, and broadcast it. You will be arrested. Yes, it's such yeah. a contradiction how Christianity is treated throughout the world. Yeah, be yeah, ridiculed and there's no tolerance. The people that scream the most about tolerance are the most intolerant sometimes. Isn't it? That's, that, that's a very true statement. You know, it used to be that don't push your Christianity on me, but at the same time, they want to push their beliefs on you. You know, uh, when I was in college, when I got out of the military, it was weird because if you wanted to set up a table to pass out Christian literature, they was also allowed to set up a, a table to push Satanism. And they thought of that as just being natural. That is not natural to me, you know, but that's where we're at today. Uh, one of the people I, I uh, brought up that I admire is John Maxwell. And I was listening to him last week speak about how are we going to reach those people? The people in our society today actually believe this is a post-Christianity society. They're not going to come into your church. So how do you reach out to them? You know, if you ask them, they're like, well, if we're in heaven, you have to put those Christians on the other side, not the Christians, but the Republicans on one side, put us on the other. But that's not the answer. Uh, it's, it's very hard even for me. But you, until they figure out that you care about them, they're not going to listen to you. And that's why I don't want to talk politics to people unless they push, push, push. And then it goes nowhere from there. It just goes downhill. No one wins in that situation. That is a big challenge today. I have a couple neighbors that are uh, lean Democrat and they're always ridiculing Trump, but they never say why or what for, what, what's he done or what he hasn't done. And it's just blanket statements of ignorance, in my opinion. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's funny how they gave Obama a pass for the things he used to say. I remember one Obama uh, lecture, he was talking about the, how he's going to go out and visit all 57 states. And nothing ever happens. The guy got a pass for everything, but Trump can't do nothing. My little brother was in the Army. And when I was in Iraq, one day I was at the DFAS, and that's where we eat at, and I was leaving. And even though I was in my PT uniform, the Army would still salute you, and they saluted me with their left hand. I'm like, uh, don't you supposed to salute with your right hand? And then I went and read, you salute with whichever hand you have available. They had their left hand available because they was carrying their weapons. And uh, when Trump did that, oh, you know, you think it was the worst thing he'd ever done, but that's the hand he had available. It just is such a contradiction how he's treated. It really is. But, you know, you ask, you put people on the, on the spot and ask, okay, 
what don't you like about Trump? They was like, I don't like his tweets. Which one? You know, the problem people have with Trump is Trump is an alpha male. You know, he's not a beta male. He's an alpha male. And there's a big difference between the two. People don't like people who will tell you how they're going to do something. No, you're supposed to ask for permission. And, and that's just not how it's supposed to work. You know, I consider myself a conservative and I understand Ted Cruz was the conservative choice. But when Trump said he's going to run for president, I'm like, that's the person I'm going to vote for. Yes. And I was a, t a member of a Tea Party in San Diego at that time and everybody was doing Ted Cruz. And I'm like, no, I need someone who's going to push for me, not someone who's just going to talk. And that's the direction I went. So, Willie, so, uh, right now we kind of see a kind of a shift in, um, I guess, culturally, racially, whatever, uh, on who's supporting the Republican versus Democratic Party or, you know, who's being more conservative uh, and such. Uh, why would you say that is? Why, why was Trump able to reach out to, you know, Hispanics, Blacks, uh, people like that? Well, first of all, the media try to tell the people how to think. But if you look at Trump, the one thing he said, you know, what do you have, what do you have to lose? You've depended on these people for years, which they have, and they continue to do. It just blows my mind that people can continue to support the Democratic Party when the only time they ever come to you is during election time. When the election's over with, you're an afterthought and they have nothing to do with you. This is a guy who always, I don't know, he seems to always be willing to lend a hand, you know, to tell, to, to, to help you. He, do, he doesn't put the left, he doesn't put people like me down or the Hispanics, he don't put you down, you know? And he's always doing something. Look at what he says, promises made, promises kept. That's been said so many times by so many politicians. I will, I will, I will. He said what he's going to do and he did it. Imagine if he had a support system that Barack Obama had, how much he could get done. So I tell people in my life, I have three favorite presidents, Lincoln, Reagan, and Trump. And I'm on a better wager, you know, if, if we can get our history right, which we probably don't because we don't teach history anymore. We teach what's called revisionist history or even worse, the 1619 project. I believe Trump will go down as one of the best presidents ever because promises made, promises kept. Can't be, that cannot be overlooked. So, so how did you uh, kind of run into the John Birch Society and um, started with that? <laughs> when I was in San Diego, I was blown, I belonged to the Ramona Tea Party. And uh, I would always try to talk to as many people at the tea party as I could. One of the gentlemen who I took with me introduced me to John Selk. And the first time I met John Selk, he started talking. And the only thing I could think to myself is, wow. I mean, just to talk to him is is inspiring. Uh, the guy is just full of all type of knowledge. And I'm like, this is one individual I'd like to, to get to know. And over a period of time, I was invited to a men's roundtable. It's the second Saturday of every month. And John Selk led that. And that's how I met uh, Bob Netherton is through that. And Stig uh, Medley, he, when he was living in, Cali in California at the time, we had the men's roundtable at his house. So I met him. And Stig Megley is like a, uh, he's like a, a, a dictionary. All he does is read, 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 read. And then uh, Jim Tapscott, he led the uh, 
the Ramona Tea Party, and that's how I met him. But all these guys have become an influence to me, and I look at them, and I'm like, okay, these gentlemen are older than me. Who's gonna Who's gonna push forward? They can't do this forever. I volunteer myself, and this is what I will do. You know, I've never felt compelled to do anything like that when I was on the left, because I believe the left is just, uh, well, they're violent in nature. If they can't have their way, they're gonna burn your house down. You know, I tell people I'm a professional protester yeah. now. So all I do is I protest. I'm not a rioter. I haven't burnt nobody's neighborhood down, but I do protest. You know, I think that's the first amendment right that I can go out and protest. Uh, what would you say to others that uh, maybe, you know, they want to know about the being conservative, about being the part of the Birch Society, something like that? What would you say to them? First of all, I tell them to think. Um, I, I, I follow John Maxwell, a lot of things, what he says. He says he does five things every day. He reads, he writes. He thinks, he fouls, and he asks questions. I would tell those people to think, think for yourself. Uh, the media, uh-oh, I did something wrong. Wow. Um, the media will tell you how to think. I believe if you were to study for yourself, to read for yourself, and not just to take the word of the media, you'd go a long ways into developing a platform of how you want to live your life and how you want to think. Don't, what, Reagan says, trust, but verify. You can listen to whomever you want to listen to, but go and verify that information. And again, I would say, I hate to say this, but don't use Google because Google algorithms are totally different than other search engines, but study and look into it for yourself. So take, I guess it's kind of taking personal responsibility for your own learning. That's exactly what, that's exactly what it is. You know, stepping up and saying, I will learn this and not just believe what you're told based off of what someone else says. It's a great responsibility yeah. and it, it will keep your feet to the fire. It won't be one of those things where you'd be like, well, I heard this on, and that's the far as you go. I heard this on, you know, when you're in college, you had to uh, write down your sources. If you wrote a report, what are your sources for the information you're getting? You know, yeah. I listen to a lot of people, but I still will read. You know, and um, I, I believe one of the best assets I have is that I don't watch TV for TV's sake. Uh, if I'm watching TV, it's usually the same thing. I watch cooking, I watch home building, I watch automobiles, but I don't watch TV for TV's sake. That gives me a lot of time to just sit and just read and to learn. And like I say, every day I want to learn something. Otherwise, it's a wasted day. Yeah, I wanted to. Sorry. Go ahead. Hey, Alden, I wanted to just say as a Polynesian <laughs> uh, here, I don't know how many Polynesians or Samoans, Hawaiians you have with the John Birch Society, but um, just There's as a, a, yeah. a, a new Bircher uh, supporting Willie as the chapter secretary, I've, I've found that a lot of our uh, you know, friends, family on the left that Willie had mentioned, you know, a lot of them hold conservative values of, you know, freedom of religion, <clears throat> limited government, 
uh, you know, low taxes, strong national defense, but they've just been listening to, uh, you know, the mainstream media and um, being influenced uh, by, you know, the, the news that they're hearing on the other side. And there's not enough conservatives to educate them and, you know, teach them about the tools and, um, you know, learning about the Constitution and what it guarantees in terms of our freedoms and our rights. And so um, I found as a Polynesian with the John Birch Society, uh, in order to, um, you know, remove that that stigma of of the society only being, um, you know, Caucasian, older, uh, you know, people think that I'm not Polynesian. They they only hear my voice, but they don't they don't see that I'm a, you know a brown skinned person. Yeah. Uh, and so when they finally meet me, they're they they can't believe it. Well, I thought John Birch Society was only you know this type of you know demographic, but mm. uh, you know there's I think there's lots of opportunity right now to reach out to those that segment of the population uh, and just be creative in the messaging, uh, invite them and, uh, you know, just have them come and listen in on, on our discussions. I think there's a huge gap, a learning gap there, especially, you know, if we're talking about reaching out to younger folks. Um, so those, those are the things that as a chapter that we are, uh, trying to hone in on, uh, you know, to try and, uh, get into our communities, uh, our cultural communities, and um, show them that there's alternative news, uh, that it's not all what you're hearing on the mainstream, and get them back to the values that we all share, the values that I just mentioned. Um, and, um, you know, just educate them you know, using the John Birch Society tools, the newsletters, the resources, the Slim Jims, uh, those are the things we push um, when we're out and about, as we said, you know, doing these various events. Um, not not uh, to be political, but really just as education uh, for these groups that, that I mentioned. Um, so so that's how we're uh, leveraging our relationships and our skills and talents. So kind of finding commonalities, you might say, among all kinds of different people, but also maybe appealing to maybe certain concerns certain groups might have, I suppose. I find it interesting. Yeah. If you do a ser internet search on the John Birch Society, it'll come up with Wikipedia entries, and it's a far-right organization, and I see it. I'm just my own, the way I see it, just the way I see it, but um, the John Birch Society uh are, are truthful, they're open, uh, reasonable, and all these different uh, descriptions of that same sort. And I, it's interesting, uh, most people that criticize other organizations or people really don't know anything about them, but they're willing to criticize them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right, that's, that's yeah. the... That's how they describe the JBS is a far right, uh, you know, um, political 
activist type of organization when nothing can be further from the truth. And so that's why I feel personally that we need to uh, change that narrative. And, uh, you know, the more people see your face, <laughs> not literally, but, you know, the face of JBS, right, which is not just one way, it's not just one color, uh, it's not right wing, uh, uh, I think we just need to, um, yeah, I know that JBS does a lot to help us with those tools, but I think the face of JBS really needs to come out and be, you know, active and present in all of these different um, community type events where they, you know, where we can, we can actually demonstrate that it is, it is not what they say it is, uh, or not how they describe it. Uh, I, I definitely don't see it as a far right, you know, um, political yeah. activist type. Well, it is politically active, but yeah. I don't see it as far right. So, um, well, anyway, one of the things that, that. Um, you know, we've I found that successful is just inviting people to come and see, come and see what we're what we're about, who we are, and you know. Most people say, okay, let's, let's take a look. Maybe, maybe I got some wrong information or the wrong impression. Uh, and of course, somebody writing on Wikipedia, they may or may not give an accurate impression of what the John Birch Society is about. So, but a lot of people go to it. It's free. Uh, same as Google. <laughs> uh, but, but when, yeah. When, we, when people find out what we're about and what we do, and uh, a lot of times they realize that, hey, you know, this really is an organization for somebody like me. And that can go for whether you invite somebody to church or other, whatever organization it is, or maybe um, to find out about fill in the blank. Uh, is this group, is this thing for somebody like me? And that's a lot of times what people are asking. Uh, right, so, right. We know that the John Burr Society is for many, many different types of people. Uh, absolutely, um, yeah. Not it for everybody, very diverse. but mm -hmm. it is very diverse, yeah. 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 I think the media um, has their agenda. They're a very powerful platform, and they can tell and talk and say whatever they want about an organization. But what I like about the John Burr Society uh, is that Every month I get my bulletin in my New American and I feel like I've been empowered again because of the education that's in there. Not only the education that's in there, but if you go to the website, there's a call to action. You just can't every month just read your bulletin and read your New American and call it quits, but they hold your feet to the fire. You're not uh, someone, uh, when I listen to talk shows, it's always this question comes up. So what can I do? Well, the John Burt Society, they answer that question for you. They will educate you so you become smarter. I've given uh, reprints to neighbors and you know, they have certain ideals. And I'm like, I don't think that's right, but I'll give you this article. It's obviously you're not gonna listen to me, but maybe you can uh, read this article and follow up yourself. And they'll see me the next time they, they'll say, thank you. So I think uh, it's like uh, people say, once they find out how much you care, then they'll listen to you. Some people are to the point they will not listen to you because they've already been given their marching orders. So matter, no matter how much truth you have, they're still going to sh shout you down, shut you down, anything but listen. But like you said, once they come to a meeting and once they open themselves up, uh, their whole perspective changes. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's right. A lot of times that, that very true. And yeah, I, I find that the, you know, talk radio hosts, there, there's a very you know, variety of them, what they say, but I guess generally therefore uh, entertainment sake, they need to keep on the air. So they've got to, you know, they've got to bring in money. Um, they do provide some information, but they're not so strong on organization, organizing people, specific things they invite people to do. Um, they have kind of a limit. Uh, so a lot of times what I run into is uh, people say, well, I listen to talk radio and they get to a point where they want to take action. Well, then that's where the John Burr Society can come in and help them where they're to a point where they're, they're probably better informed, hopefully, <laughs> by listening to that radio host, whoever it was. But then they've got to take it to the next level. What do I actually do about this? Uh, there might be a few things that the you know, they've heard that might not be quite accurate. We can help out with those things, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of taken it to the next step. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen to a talk show throughout most of the day. And even though I admire, uh, these talk show hosts, some of them believe in, uh, uh, the, what do you call it? Con con. And I sure. do not believe in that. And that's when I have to, okay, we're going to change the station now because I'm not going down that road. Um, Venice has a very interesting story. Venice, can you tell the story you experienced last week? <laughs> yeah, sure. I was invited to a Republican club of Nevada luncheon uh, a week ago. And so I um, decided to attend the luncheon. Uh, it was a congressman from Nevada, the third district that was a keynote speaker. And so I wanted to go hear what he had to say um, and, you know, uh, kind of uh, dip my toe in the water of, you know, what the RNC, uh, the Republican Club of Nevada does. And um, so there were a lot of uh, different, um, you know, documents, uh, flyers uh, on the table. Uh, one of them was uh, to push the Constitutional Convention uh you know, to try and get Nevada uh, to submit uh, an application. And so they were looking for a lot of uh, folks to get on board and, uh, you know, be become motivated to, to submit <laughs> a constitutional convention application. Um, so I immediately told the gentleman, you know, um, I kind of just mentioned, you know, I'm not, I'm not for that. I mean, uh, that that's not the, it's not something that I believe in. Uh, and he started, you know, quoting from the Fifth Amendment, uh, you know, that it's okay. Uh, you know, this is allowed under the Fifth Amendment. And I said, uh, you know, as soon as you open the door to change the Constitution, you know, uh, you've, you've literally opened the door <laughs> for all kinds of shenanigans uh, to be added to the Constitution. Uh, so, no, I'm against it. And so he was quite aggressive, um, eventually took the you know the materials away and you know decided not to talk to me anymore. <laughs> um and a lot of the elderly folks uh, the older folks at the table with me agreed with me uh or didn't understand it you know and would have went along with it had i not you know said what i said to the gentleman and i was very nice to him uh and um but but they agreed with me that oh this is this is this is a bad idea. 
uh, you know, we we should, you know, kind of stand up to this next time because, you know, a lot of people, again, a lot of people just believe what they believe and they don't know what they don't know until someone is there to, you know, give an alternative explanation of why this is a bad idea. <laughs> so I kind of feel like I, I use my John Birch education to, uh, you know, influence some people at the table, which which was a good thing, I guess. So, uh, but but I felt like, wow, this is a, this is a good thing, you know. I uh, I was able to use that education to, you know, help to help, uh, you know, make uh, people aware of the content. So, unfortunately, I didn't have any slim gyms to pass around. <laughs> uh, but uh, next time, yeah. Yeah, but it was a good experience. Yeah, that's that's so good. That's good to hear that story that uh, you're able to, you know, just be ready with a, a few simple comments that can get people thinking that mm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Willie? Yes. I, what, on uh, Stephen Covey's book, what's... Is there a main theme of the book that stands out that influenced you the most? Uh, my daughter, she's 34, but she wants to get into law school. And I, you brought up that book. I haven't read it, but I thought, wow, you know, that would, sounds like a really good book to, to, to start yeah, her out. Book. As you know, Stephen Cuppy passed, uh, but his book is still out there. The main theme of his book is just being able to schedule. A lot of people's like, wow, what did I, I don't, I didn't get nothing done this week. So like I said, when I was in the military, if he will have you schedule your day, your week, your month, uh, your year. So nothing can sneak up on you. You know, it's all about scheduling your life, being accountable for your time. And that's what I liked about it best. Yes. Thank you. I wish and, I was your neighbor. And uh, what you call it, the seven habits of highly effective people, which is available online for free now. And you can just listen to it. Uh, through YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Any other questions, comments? It was fun. Yeah. Well, Willie, I want to thank you and Venice. Uh, you know, you had a few comments and things as well for uh, just, you know, talking about this, kind of talking about your own experience and uh, how we can all make a difference, how we can all uh, just maybe break through those uh, stereotypes that might exist in the world. And we know that all of us are individuals. We're not, uh, yeah, we're part of groups, but we're all individuals uh, and we have our own unique uh, part to us. So I wanna thank you, all of you for being on and thank you for being on Birching the West. Uh, I'll put a little plug in as I always do uh, for projects we're working on. We're still uh, getting uh, getting the money together to put up a billboard and up in up in Utah. So any any of you that see this on YouTube or hear it on the podcast, if you you can certainly contact me, eStall at jbs.org, and um, you know if you want to help out with that or want to know some details, getting uh, getting the graphic design done for that. So. Um, that's, that's certainly a kind of a fun thing that we talked today about, uh, getting people aware of that we're out there and, uh, getting them to come and see, well, this would be part of that. So, uh, but, uh, thank you again for everybody that came on. 
and we'll we'll sign off with uh, Birching the West. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you, Willie.